When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it's Albert. We got a great show coming for you this week. We got the takeaways. We've got an insightful guest to talk about the most hot button quarterback situation in the NFL. Fabs is in with his fantasy and DFS picks, as always, brought to you by DraftKings. And like we always do, we wrap things up with your questions in the six-pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. Week 13 is finally in the books, and we're right on the doorstep of week 14. It's the Albert Breer Show. We had a great guest coming for you this week to talk about one of the hottest news stories we've got going into week 14. We've got all your questions in the mailbag. We've got your DFS and fantasy picks brought to you by DraftKings with our buddy Fabs. But as we always do, we're going to start with the takeaways. And I don't think there's anything we anywhere else we can start than right there in Philadelphia. First takeaway, the Eagles are in a very precarious position when it comes to the quarterback position. They're in a very precarious position when it comes to their overall football operation. And it's a great sign of how quickly things can turn in the NFL. It was 18 months ago that I think most people looked at them, said they've got the best roster in football. They've got a young quarterback coming up. They've got a coaching staff that now has a championship under its belt. The Eagles were easily, easily one of the top five football operations in the entire league. Now, we're not sure what the owner's gonna do with the front office or the coaching staff. We assume there's gonna be some level of change. The quarterback's been benched for a rookie second-round pick. He looks broken, and the rest of the roster has gotten old in spots. Now, do I think Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson deserve a little more rope? Yeah, sure, I definitely believe that they do. Like Based on what they've accomplished, they were in the playoffs three years running. They weren't bad in year one either. And, like, yeah, they backslid a little bit, but for the most part, They've been competitive um, up until this year on a year-in, year-out basis. And so there being a blip on the radar you know, during a year in which they've been ravaged by injuries, COVID and everything else, like it's totally understandable. But there are some big box decisions to be made here with this organization. I think it's going to start if Howie and Doug are back. I don't think that's a given right now. I think everyone in the organization is under evaluation. But if they're back... There are going to be some decisions to be made in the coaching staff. It does look like their second shot at overhauling the offensive side hasn't worked. First, it was replacing Frank Reich and John Filippo, who did a great job with Mike Groh and Press Taylor. The more recent iteration has been Rich Scangarillo and Press Taylor. I would not be surprised if they go and try to find themselves 
an offensive coordinator in the offseason to fix this. So that's going to be piece one. Whether that's somebody like Matt Nagy, if he doesn't make it in Chicago, somebody like Matt Kafka, who they tried to get last year, they got blocked, but um, wouldn't be like subject to a block this time around because of the new rules. I don't know what they're going to do there, but I think fixing the offensive staff once and for all has got to be job number one. And then after that, you kind of decide out what you're going to do about the quarterback. And, you know, while some people have painted this as sort of bleak financially, if you've decided you're going to move on, I do think that there's a way that this is made. Like, like I do think that you probably want to make that decision sooner rather than later. Reason why is I think Carson Wentz still has some trade value. And if you've decided that he's not going to make it, then I think you have to look at the idea of trading him this offseason. His contract is movable. His average per year for the four remaining years in the deal, cash-wise, is $24.6 million. There's only one guaranteed year left. That's twenty-five. That's for $25.4 million in 2021. Sounds like a lot of money, right? That's what the Colts paid Phillip Rivers to come in and be their quarterback in 2020. So it's the going rate. And I think the way you look at this is you look at this as like a Rivers-type swing if you're another team, right? So you have the one-year flyer on him, and it is expensive, $25 million. But if he hits... Now you've got them at way below market for the next three years. And again, that average per year that comes out after you compute everything, 22 million in, 19, in 2022, 25 million in 2023, 26 million in 2024, comes out again to 24.6 million. That would make him the 19th highest paid quarterback in the league right now. And you know that ranking is going to come down over the next few years too. So I think for a team that might have background with him like Frank Reich in Indianapolis has background with him think that may, might make some sense so I think he's still got some trade value the other thing is a lot of people have talked about the cap issue I mean to me like you're between a rock and the hard place in that if you're going to move on from him either after this year or next the numbers are going to be big right so if you cut him after this year there's a 52 59.2 million dollar cap hit that's historic that's only if you can't trade him um, if you can trade him then you got to take on, and this can be managed, but you got to take on $33.8 million in dead cap. That sounds like a lot, right? But if you held on to him for the extra year, that number only comes down to $24.5 million of dead cap if you cut him after the 21 season. And at that point, if you're ready to move on from him after next season, you've probably killed his trade value along the way. So to me, it's, you know, I think you make a decision after this year. And you have to take a hard look at it and make the determination if he's fixable. If you don't think he's fixable, I think you have to look at trading him. If you do think he's fixable, which I think is the optimal the optimal outcome here, then I think you have to hire infrastructure. That's where we get back to the coaching staff and make that work. I don't know if Jalen Hurts is the future. Generally, non-first-round picks aren't long-term answers. We're going to talk to our special guest about... Jalen Hurts a little bit more, whether or not he can be the future in Philadelphia. Um, but if you are going to move on from him, I think you probably you bring Jalen Hurts back, obviously, because you have him on a second-round contract. But then you probably take some more swings at the quarterback position. Compli- comp- complicated, complicated issue for the uh, for, for the Philadelphia Eagles going forward. Takeaway number two, just the weirdest, weirdest, weirdest situation. And, like... What happened in the Meadowlands on uh, on Sunday? I, like, if you if you drew it up for me on Saturday and told me this is about to happen, I don't know if I would have believed you. 
So, and this isn't about one play, it's about two plays. Because on the second to last offensive snap the Raiders had, they ran uh, a downfield route combination, a shot play, and Nelson Aguilar got behind the defense. Nelson Aguilar was a good three, four yards behind the defense. And Derek Carr overshot him. So you had your warning sign there. Like, Greg Williams, don't, like, you know, Greg Williams, be careful about letting calling something that's going to allow the, the receiver to get behind the defense that way. If you're the DBs, just, you know, it's the old saying, the old football saying, GTFB, get the back. Like, like there's every warning sign. And then on the next play, they, it happen, uh, next play, you call a zero blitz, seven guys rushing, you have an eighth guy spying Derek Carr, and you've got a corner who runs 4-6, covering one of the fastest men in football. And Henry Ruggs, it's just incomprehensible the way this worked. And, you know, as that was going on, the Jags were forcing overtime in Minnesota. And, like, now I think this is really down to these two teams because we know, based on the standings, it's going to take at least, it, it, like, unless the, 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 the Jets or Jaguars, one of those two have to get to 13 losses. And for the Jets to do that now, the Jets would have to be 3-1 and one the rest of the way. If they're two and fourteen, if they go two and two the rest of the way, that eliminates everybody except for the Jaguars. So it's really them and the Jaguars for the first overall pick. So my takeaway here, like the Jets need to lose. Like Trevor Lawrence again, and I've said this on the podcast before. Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, John Elway, Trevor Lawrence is in that category. It is a once in a decade type of prospect, and so. I love Justin Fields. Everybody who talks to me knows how I feel about Justin Fields. Trevor Lawrence is a different dude. And so if you know, you're know you in that position, you have somebody who can just change the face of your franchise for the next 15 years. It's going to change the complexion of how attractive your coaching job is to people. You're going to be able to trade Sam Darnold, get some assets from him, start to build around Trevor Lawrence. I, like, Look, like I think this goes for the Jags too. But if you're the Jets, I like it's a weird thing to say. But if I'm a Jets fan, I'm rooting for them to lose. If I'm Jets owner Christopher Johnson or Woody Johnson, I like I have it in the back of my head that I want the first overall pick. So I'm probably like cring- like being in that cringe face, like yeah, no, like when things go wrong on the field. I just think there's so much benefit to the idea of having a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence in the fold. Like the Jets would be well served to put themselves in position to get them, as would the Jaguars. Okay, takeaway number three. After everything that we saw with the beat down the Browns late on the Titans, the loss the Steelers suffered to the uh, Washington football team, and then what the Ravens were able to do and kind of getting everything together and running right through the Cowboys. Like to me, like the AFC North is the best race in football going forward, even though. There are two games separating each of those teams. And the interesting thing about it is if you look at the schedules of those three teams, right, it's like graduated who's got the toughest schedule. So the Steelers still have the Bills and Colts in addition to the Bengals and Browns. So the Bills and Colts, two playoff teams, the Browns, big division game at the end of the year. Not impossible to see them going one and three down the stretch. Two and two seems realistic. Like so, like I think the Steelers are in some peril here. Like those are that that's a tough end to the schedule outside of that Bengals game. The Browns, Browns have the Ravens this week. They have the Steelers at the end of the at the end of the year. 
But then they have the Giants and the Jets in between. Those are two winnable games for the Browns. So the Browns put themselves in position there where I think realistically, if they take care of business against the division teams, it's not impossible to see them getting the 13-3. And then you have the Ravens. We're running the table is 100% realistic. If they beat the Browns this week, Jags, Giants, Bengals, boom, you're 11-5. And, and so to me, like the AFC North, those are three quality teams, like two obviously very well-established, pedigreed, uh, programs and the Steelers and Ravens, two coaches that have been in those places for a long, long time, and two teams that obviously are going to be to be reckoned with in, in January. Then you get the upstart, the Browns, and I love the way this sets up because it's just again the team that's on top has a two-game lead, but they got the toughest schedule. The team on the bottom is four games back, two games back of the second-place team, but they've got the easiest schedule. I can't wait to see the. I can't wait to see uh, see see what happens with the AFC North the rest of the way. Takeaway number four. Josh Allen is the best quarterback in the AFC East right now, and it might not be close. He's better than Tua Tagovailoa. He's better than Sam Darnold. He's better than Cam Newton. And if what we saw from Buffalo on Monday night, what we saw from Josh Allen specifically on Monday night, is sustainable. Look out! Like this could be the team that I that that, that has the best shot at upsetting the Chiefs in the playoffs. That's right. This could be the team that has the best shot at upsetting the Chiefs in the playoffs. And remember, they're led by an Andy Reid guy in Sean McDermott, which could make a playoff matchup incredibly interesting. And I think the way you have to look at the Bills, that roster has been that that roster has been ready to explode for two years now. There isn't a huge hole anywhere. You look at it at every level, right? Like really good players at every level. On the offensive line, they've got Mitch Morris, they've got Deion Dawkins, at tight end, they've got Dawson Knox. At receiver, they've got Diggs, they've got Brown, they've got Beasley. At running back, they've got Singletary, they've got Moss. On defense, and the defense hasn't been perfect, they've had their ups and downs, but if they come together, there's talent there. Ed Oliver, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, Tredavious White. It's just a really well-conceived roster. It's a good team, and if Josh Allen plays like he did the other night, he looked like a top-five quarterback the other night, look out. The Bills could be a team. We could be talking about going into Kansas City as the top threat to knock off the defending champions in that AFC bracket. I'm bullish on where the Bills are now. And if you look at the age of the guys that I mentioned, almost all of them, I'm not sure I'd have to look this up, but I think almost all of them, 26 or so or younger, it's a team that could be good for a long time to come. Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have done a great job there. Finally, takeaway number five. And I feel weird saying this because I just sort of mentioned the Giants as kind of like a – not like a walkthrough opponent, but like an easier opponent for those AFC North teams. I love where the Giants are going. I love where Washington's going. Give you guys a little nugget here on the podcast. I think both of those teams are all in on their coaches to the point where I think the front office could be remade a little bit in the offseason around those coaches with guys that they have good relationships with. And so I've mentioned on my halftime periscopes a few times. I've been asked about the Giants GM position a bunch. Keep an eye on former Patriots exec Monty Ossifort. Very close with Joe Judge. I think it's possible that we have, like, eventually, maybe not this offseason, but at some point where Dave Gettleman moves into some sort of senior advisory role, whatever it might be, and maybe you see the Giants go all in on Joe Judge by putting Monty Austin Ford in there. And then in Washington with Ron Rivera, got a really good young executive in Kyle Smith. Could a Marty Herney go there? Could a Ryan Cowden go there? Could somebody with Carolina ties go there? 
I think both teams now, if you look at where they are, how far they've come, what they've accomplished as far as just establishing what they are culturally and kind of building a foundation to build off go forward. Now, again, they, they're going to have to draft well over the next couple of years. They're going to have to like that. The Washington still got to go out and figure out its quarterback situation. There's, there's still all of that, but just as far as laying a foundation, those guys, Joe judge and Ron Rivera have done a great job. I think it changes the complexion of the NFC East going forward. And if you want proof of how all in those teams are, I do think that there's a chance that we start to see the front offices of those organizations remade in the image of those coaches. All right, and we will get to our special guest right after this. All right, we're going to welcome back one of my favorite guests, a guy who uh, has made just a really incredible business for himself and... uh, you know, like somebody who's going to bring us great insight on some of the biggest newsmakers of, of this NFL season, he's Quincy Avery. He's the owner and founder of QB Takeover. Uh, Quincy, what's going on? What's going on? I'm having a good one. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, all right. So the reason we bring you on this week, I think it's the obvious. Uh, it's because you work with Jalen, and Jalen is now the starter in Philadelphia. So like, here's where I like. I really kind of like want to wind the clock back for, with you. Um, to when you started working with Jalen and right after he got benched um, at Bama. Now he's going into his junior year as the backup to Tua Tungavaloa. I think there were questions about whether or not he was a quarterback, period, you know, from some NFL teams and, and, and how they'd evaluate him. If I had told you back then, that would have been like what, before the 2018 season that two years or 2017, right? I think 2017, I'm thinking. Right, right, 2017. So if I had told you that three years later he would be named the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, what would you have said? I would have said you're wild because that would have been right around the time that Carson Wentz was either playing really well (laughs) um, or getting getting his (laughs) contract. So I would have been like, oh, man, you're out of your mind Uh, if you would have told me that. If you would have told me he got drafted in the second round of of the NFL draft to play quarterback at the point in time, I probably would have told you you're wild. But I think – all those things are just a testament to the amount of work that he really put in in order to develop his game as a quarterback, um, to increase his ability to do things from the pocket and to show people that he was a proficient enough passer to be a quarterback in the NFL. Because I just don't think people looked at him in that way at that time, like you said. And um, it, it took a lot of work on his end to become that um, and for people to see him that way. Why do you think, like, I, I don't know. Like, what what do you think he was missing at the time? Like, like, and what did you guys have to develop? And what did he have to focus on developing at the time when, you know? And, and obviously, I think it's like a hard thing for anybody who's a competitive enough athlete to play at that level. It's got to bug you. You know, you're happy for your team and everything else. You win a national title, but you know now you're going into the next year and you're the backup. Like at that point when you're working with him, what do you think he was lacking that he needed to develop? There was a level of fluidity and confidence in the ability to make throws that I think was lacking, Mm -hmm. right? So some of the things that they're asking to do, he didn't feel comfortable enough doing. So when it was time to pull the trigger, he just couldn't make it happen. Some of the throws that they were asking him to make, he didn't have the confidence in himself to make those throws. And that's the thing that I think caused the most issues for him as a quarterback. So he had to develop um, a more fluid throwing motion, 
the way that he does things now looks so much different than the way that he did things three years ago in terms of a passer. He used to look much more mechanical, much more stiff. Um, and, and the way that, like, if, even if you just look back and cut on some of his throws at the combine this past year and you watch the way that he threw things from the rhythm out to the deep dig, like those things, he looked as good as anybody there and as good as people who they talked about as the most polished passers. Um, he looked the same way. And it's just because of the work that he put in. What do you think it said about him too that he stayed at Alabama? You know, like, cause I think like, especially in today's world, right? Like a lot of guys leave in that situation and he did eventually go like, but staying the way he did and being a guy who, again, like a starter is a true freshman, Quincy, you know what I mean? Like a, a starter is a true fresh freshman at the university of Alabama. And now he's a backup in his third year. Like, what do you think it said about him, the way he handled that? Like, because I'm sure you were talking with him through the whole thing. Um, the way he handled himself, the way he and Tua sort of maybe maintained a relationship, you know, and what would be, an, I think, an awkward position for almost anybody. Like, what did you learn about him watching watching him go through that? Yeah, he wasn't just a starter. He was 26-2 and two at the point that yeah. that happened, right? So he goes into that next season, and he they didn't even communicate with him that he wasn't going to be the starter. Yeah. The writing was on the wall. A lot of people saw that it was coming, but it wasn't communicated with them. But it just so shows not only his level of mental toughness, but his maturity, right? For someone to be in a situation that's not great and not make excuses, but literally all he thought about is like, how do I get better so something like this doesn't happen to me in the future? And that's what he did day in and day out. And then he would go to the media and he would address it like a pro. He'd be on the sideline during the games and he would do nothing but encourage and cheer on Tua and his team. Like all those things talk about how much of a leader he is, the amount of work that he's willing to put in. And and not only that, it, it shows you that that's somebody you want leading your group of men. Um, and, and that's really what a quarterback is. Well, so you had to like, like I think that the interesting thing. So the reason I set you up with those two things is like, you know, you said on one hand, he had to develop confidence in his ability to throw, right? Like like mm-hmm. when, when, when you were working with him before that junior year, you have to be like, like he has to have that confidence to pull the trigger. I think what you're saying is maybe he's a little gun shy before, right? So you have that over here. You got to develop confidence. And literally here on the over, other side, there's coaches telling you you're not good enough, right? Like mm-hmm. and maybe they're not saying it to you, but by putting the other guy in the field, they're telling you. So, like, how do you guys balance that? Like, how do you think he balanced that? Like, going from, all right, I need to develop this confidence in what I'm able to do, but I've got people over here telling me that, I, that, that, that I'm not quite good enough. Yeah, so you got to earn your confidence, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I talk about earning your confidence in terms of seeing yourself do the things that you weren't necessarily confident in doing before and doing those things over and over and over again so that you know when the time is right, when you're called upon to do it, you can be confident because you know you've done this under stressful um, and under duress situations. And and that's what he did. Like all the things that they said he couldn't do. You can't throw from the pocket. You can't throw from under center. You can't take a real drop. You can't go through progressions. Those are all the things we worked on. And he did it religiously day in, day out. Um, and at the end of that summer, he felt really, really confident um, in doing all those things. So his confidence was earned. It wasn't the false bravado that you see a lot of guys have, like, where they think they can do something that they've never worked on or they've never earned the ability to say, um, I'm good enough at doing this. And he, he did it a different way. Do you think he's, do you think that like in a certain way it was good for him? Like going through that, like that maybe it, cause sometimes it causes some self-evaluation, right? Like, because if like, there's like, 
you can tell people you need to get better at something, but when they go through like something like that, maybe it kind of like in a certain way pushes you to say, okay, like, like I got to listen because it's whatever is that, whatever I've been doing isn't exactly working. I, I think it is, it was good for him. And, and I think like if those things wouldn't happen, I would have never even had the opportunity to work with someone like Jaden. Like he would have thought everything was fine. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we might need to do a little bit more, but I'm still winning championships. I'm doing X, Y, Z. Right. So those, those things would cause somebody to feel like the things that they were doing were good enough and they don't need to change. So sometimes it takes a bit of adversity for you to look in the mirror, say, all right, these are the things that they're saying I'm not doing good enough. How can I fix it? And it, it causes you to be really, really honest with yourself and have a real evaluation moment. And then he had two options at that point. He could have withered away, went to a corner and, and not become who he was, is today. Um, mm-hmm. Or he could have done exactly what he did. And that's what, has earned him the ability to start for the Philadelphia Eagles in this upcoming game yeah. on Sunday. What do you think Lincoln Riley gave to him? What do you think playing in that offense gave to him? Because obviously, like, there's the history there with Kyler, with Baker. Like, he's following two number one overall picks. I think it's obvious. Like, I don't think we even have to talk about why that, like, it would be attractive to him to go there, right? Like, that mm-hmm. that part of it, at least, like, I would think, like, you look at it and you see the track record. Um, what do you think playing for Lincoln Riley gave him? Playing for Lincoln Riley gave him the opportunity to get so many reps throwing the football in real live game situations. Mm-hmm. Right, he wasn't going to get that at Alabama. They had they had the ability to do too many things, um, and they had too many great guys around him. I think that one year at Oklahoma, it put a lot of stress on him. He was the focal point of the offense. He was the leading rusher. He had to carry the thing throwing. Um, so so much uh, so much of the their success um, was on his shoulders, and I think that it just gave him an opportunity to throw the ball. Um, and then display those skills to other people. And I don't think, I, I don't think people understand how valuable that is to be in a game in game situation. I think Lincoln Riley also does a great, as good a job as anybody in the country getting guys open. Mm-hmm. So it allowed him to also develop some confidence and just seeing himself throw a number of touchdowns. Right, and part of it, like too, is like if you know the offense is good, you're probably learning how to be patient with plays to go through progression. Like there's probably. If you're working in a sound passing offense, you're probably learning to do a lot of NFL things. Even if it's not like a perfect translation to the pros, you're probably learning to do some NFL things along the way. You're learning to take what people give you. Um, yeah. When you have an opportunity to make those big splash plays, he was taking them. And then when when the time came for him to check it down and get to the next play, he did those things too. Um, so, so all the little things and little nuances of the game, he got those. Okay. So – how much confidence did you have that he was a starting quarterback in the NFL coming out of Oklahoma, like going into the draft? And I know that there was obviously split opinion on that split opinion on, and I think probably some leftover evaluation from Alabama, right? If we're being fair, like I think there was probably some of that that he had to fight through. And the fact that Lincoln Riley's made it work with two other quarterbacks, like how confident were you when you were putting him out on the field? Cause I remember you saying to me earlier that like he's made bigger jumps than any quarter. I, I think correct me if I'm wrong. I think you said bigger jumps than any quarterback you've ever worked with, right? Like right. a fast, In- a, fa- <laughs> a faster rate of improvement than any quarterback you've ever worked with. Like how confident were you in say February or March of this year that you had a starting NFL quarterback that you were working with? Yeah, I think that timeline is really, really important. Like, when are you asking me how confident I was? Because if you'd asked me the day he went to senior bowl, I would have told you I wasn't that confident, mm-hmm. right? And if you'd asked me the day after he got done with this pro day, I would have told you I was very, very confident that he could go to an NFL team and help them out and become a starter. And I think 
he displayed so many of those things at his pro day. And that's the reason something like the Philadelphia Eagles took him in the second round. Um, and, and when that happened, I said, he's one of the few second round picks who can win you some games. Um, and he has an opportunity to do that. But I, I was really, really confident in seeing the progressions that he made in terms of his ability to really, really throw the football at a high level. I got to see him with other really good NFL quarterbacks, like other guys who start games in the NFL now, like Deshaun Watson, and see him throw with him on the same field, doing the same things. And I'm like, he's doing it. It looks pretty similar to the way that Deshaun Watson's throwing the football. Um, and, and if you're doing that, then then you got a real chance to go out in the field on Sundays and be a starter. Well, you talked about rate of improvement too. You said there was a difference between senior bowl and pro day. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think like, cause pro day must've happened before quarantine, right? So like that had to be early March. That's what six weeks. Like, so you're changing your mind in six weeks. What happened in those six weeks? Yeah, it was yeah a little over six weeks, maybe, maybe seven and a half weeks. Um, do you want me to get in like the nitty gritty, the technical stuff that we sure, did? So sure. Can, yeah. Go ahead. Go nuts. <laughs> okay. So, um, Jalen was a quarterback who externally rotated too early. So what that means is, when he'd be lined up to throw to a target, his foot would open too quick, which caused his shoulder to open too quick, and he would end up throwing the ball with a lot of arm because his shoulder was out of there too early. He would end up missing some throws high right, low right, but it would end up spraying because his arm has to, like, slash across rather than driving over the top in terms of being able to generate energy. So what we did was we worked nonstop in order to make him a better rotational thrower. Mm-hmm. How do we get the ability to load up his back leg so that – um, when he got to the top of his drop, he could internally rotate rather than externally rotate. So if you think about it, you want to think like your back foot is screwing in the ground. You're getting your right butt cheek almost to the target to create that rotational force and then be able to stay as close as long as possible as you're striding to the target, get your foot in the ground, keep that front shoulder at the target, um, and almost feel like your front side is stopping as your arm accelerates through. And he did those things um, and picked it up at a level that um, I, I haven't seen before, honestly. Like, he, he did such an amazing job, not only taking coaching, but just being able to develop in that way. Well, so I do want to ask a question about that because I think that's really interesting. But first, like, so I think what you're saying is maybe what he had was a symptom of a guy who's been able to get away with, like, just throwing with his arm, right? Like, because mm-hmm. guys yeah. who have natural ability, like, if you can get away with it, unless somebody's telling you not to do it, you probably will keep to get keep getting away with it, right? Like, so maybe he's a guy who had some natural arm strength who wasn't maybe using his body to throw right. the ball. He wasn't maximizing much, right? his ability to throw the football. A lot yeah. like Cam Newton, and I'm not trying to take a shot at Cam Newton because he's a phenomenal talent, but he hasn't had to do things in a way that made him a rotational thrower, so he just uses his arm. Right. Okay. The other thing I think is interesting is so like there's that whole theory about I think it's like ten thousand reps, right, for something to really mm-hmm. take. Um, it sounds like what you're talking about is coachability too, like that something that detailed, like what you just explained, like being able to absorb that, not only absorb it, like and, and learn it, but like then apply it that fast. Like that's rare, right? Like that's not normal that you're able to take something that quickly that's as detailed as what you just talked about and being able to apply it in like a high stress situation like a like a pro day that quickly, right? Like so that's I would think that's a good sign of where he can go if he's able to kind of take those teaching points and put them on the field that quick. It's an amazing sign of his like mental flexibility, right? Mm -hmm. To get information like that, be able to produce it in high speed, um, high speed, high stress situations. 
Like if you ask somebody to change their golf swing when they're standing still over a golf ball, think about how hard that is, right? right. They, they just can't do it. Um, but Jalen was able to pick it up, and it, it speaks volumes to his ability to get information, take it in, um, and immediately go out there and show the results or the fruits of that information and, and put it to work. Okay, so let's go to what he is now then. What did you observe from him on Sunday, you know, when he gets in there and like plays an extended like for an extended period of time for the first for the first uh for the first time? You know, obviously now, you know, I think everybody saw the writing on the wall. There's a chance for him to go out and earn more playing time with what the opportunity was in front of him. Uh what did you observe from him against Green Bay? I thought he did a really good job just managing the offense. And as I look back to the tape, like they didn't throw a lot at him in terms of what they were doing on the field. It was pretty simple and vanilla because he had another opportunity to work with the first team offense, right? Like I don't think people understand how few reps he got with those guys before that game, but he showed like, I understand it. I can play at this level. I'm ready to go out there, not only to be able to throw at the NFL level, but he can do a lot of things with his legs. And I think that was really obvious when you cut on the tape um, and you watched him play last Sunday. So I think with a week of practice um, with the, the one unit, right. And just people seeing him, snap after snap, doing things the right way. I think that he can be really successful. But what I do want people to do is really manage their expectations for him this week, right? They're, they're going against a really tough defense. They don't have a lot in terms of skill position guys out there who can help them out. So um, what is he going to be able to do to be – what does success look like for him this week? And I think that's just being able to move the ball and, and score a couple points. And manage the offense and that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, get him yeah. in and out of good situations, you know what I'm saying? Make the right checks, being able to protect himself protection-wise, making the right checks. So him doing those things, I think, would be a good, good sign. Okay, I do want to, like, before we – and we're going to jump into a couple of your other guys after this, but, like, really quick, because he did go through this situation with Tua in college – um, obviously it's Philly, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, and, and we know how, we know how, uh, how they react to certain things there and, and what the, what the, what sports radio is like in that city on the, the Monday after. So obviously there's like a lot that goes into a quarterback switch in that particular city. How do you think he's handling it with Carson? Like, how do you think that that part of it's going? Do you think that that's a challenge for him too? And I would think that that's something that teammates would, would be watching. I think that for most people it would be really, really challenging. However, like you said, he went through the exact same thing with with Tua. Like he understands um, what it's like to be in Carson Wentz's uh, shoes right now. Like he understands what it's like to lead a team for all this time, and then just say, "Hey, you've done good, but we're putting this other guy in." So I think he's aware. He's as aware of anybody of the situation and and how to manage it the right way, how to have the positive conversations and. And he's going to go in and do all the right things and say all the right things and be um, supportive. And I, I think that as Carson brings information to him as someone who's not playing at the time, he's going to be really receptive. And I think that people will look at him with a new level of respect and, and teammates will really value having somebody on the team like him. Yeah, it, you know, it's it, it was it's interesting listening to Nick Saban talk about him too, which kind of like gives you, I don't know, like like you listen to the way, the way Nick Saban talks about him and talks about Tua and the way that they handle that situation. It seems like it's all there, like what you're saying, like it's all there. Um, I do want to talk about your other quarterbacks before we let you go. Um, and so we're going to jump through three of them that I think, you know, all newsworthy for different reasons. And the first one's Deshaun. And, um, you know, I, I, I sort of thought about this when I, when I reached out to you earlier today. 
Um, I remember you tweeting like, and I think this is right after Bill O'Brien got fired that you had confidence that Tim Kelly was going to be good for Deshaun and playing for Tim Kelly as a plate caller was going to be good for Deshaun. Yeah. Now he's played like one of the five or six best quarterbacks in the league. I'd say over the last two months, what gave you confidence that he was still in a good place to keep succeeding despite like what I think is a little bit of a chaotic situation going on around him. I had talked to Tim and heard Tim say things in terms of like what his thought process was on things he wanted to get to and some of the things that he could or couldn't do. So I was pretty aware that I thought Tim had some really good ideas and I wasn't sure. And and I'm not saying Bill told him not to call those things or wasn't allowing him to call those things, but I just think that there's a level of, it's a lot more difficult to call the things that you want when your head coach is an offensive guy and they may have some veto power. Right. And there's, ideas that they're giving to you in your headset about what they want to get called and the things that they want to do where you can't go out there and call the game exactly how you want to do it. Um, So I I thought that when, when Bill left, it was going to give Tim some real freedom and he was going to be able to go out there and do things in a way that strictly benefited Deshaun because he he's in the room with Deshaun a lot more than, than the head coach would be just just because they have other responsibilities Mm -hmm. and things that they have to handle. So him really knowing what Deshaun wanted to do and, and getting Deshaun in situations that he could be successful. And I think that Tim has shown the ability that, that he's got a chance to be an offensive coordinator down the road. And um, I'm really impressed with the things that he's done. What do you think they've done to highlight the best of Deshaun? They've gotten to empty a little bit more. They've mm-hmm. allowed him to really see things. It cleans up the picture for him. Um, they're doing a little bit more quick game in terms of early situations and they're throwing the ball more on first downs. And then in those second and long situations, they're not, they're not wasting those downs with runs, right? Because they, they've been very unsuccessful in terms of running the football. And I think that um, Bill might've wanted to put, put a bigger emphasis on, on running the football. Um, But now they're just out there. They're just out there really throwing it around the yard. And it's, that's typically really difficult on an NFL quarterback to have that much responsibility in terms of throwing it that much. But when you pay somebody that much money, you got to say, Hey, figure it out. We're going to put it on you and, and go get it done. Okay. This is a sort of relates to that. And this is like a bigger picture question, but I talked to Sean after the thanks to, to Sean after the Thanksgiving game. And like, I asked him about like being consulted with um, on what's happening there, you know, like the head coach hire, the GM hire, how do you think like Deshaun's role in that organization is changing now? He's got the contract. They're out looking for a new head coach. They're out looking for a new GM. They're going to sort of reshape the organization over the last three, over the next you know two three months. How do you think Deshaun views his position in that organization changing, and how critical a time it is for the team? I, I think that they value Deshaun in a way that that's going to make him very pivotal in all the decisions that they're moving forward with, like. What does he see his the top tier offense that he wants to run, and what do you want around you, and what's going to help you be more successful? And I think you have to do that when you have a quarterback of that caliber. You got to make him the focal point of your team. I think everything around there is going to be quarterback centric. So I think he's going to have to take a higher level of responsibility in terms of being really the face of a franchise, and not not that he's not doing that right now with all the things that he does, not only on the field but in the community, but you got to really start thinking like somebody who's running a, a corporation and how do you get the people around you that can help you out to do the things that you need to do to be successful. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like, I, I almost like, I think like at this point, like, you know, quarterbacks are almost raised like golfers or tennis players now, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, and it's like, and, and I almost feel like, 
you like if you're if you're playing that position, you're almost quasi management anyway. You know what I mean? Like so, these right. guys have to like like, and I've always sort of respected that about you know you look like, look at like the way Russell Wilson carries himself or the way that Tom Brady like they carry themselves like management. And I think you're starting to see like have you noticed that? Like I think you're starting to see that with Deshaun too. A hundred percent. I just think it's a lot to put on a 25 year old though. Yeah. Right. Like he's, yeah. we look at him like he's, Oh, he's amazing. He's doing all these things. But when you like really start to think about it, he's, like, he's 25 years old. Like he's, right. he's doing a lot of, he's asked to hold a, carry a lot of responsibility as, as such a young man. And I think he's doing a fantastic job of it. And I think you kind of see how he's carrying himself and the things that he says and the way he points his message. He's, mm-hmm. he doesn't take it lightly. Okay. So last thing on him, do you have a coach in mind or a type of coach in mind that you think would be perfect for him? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I do. Um, and, and I'll talk about just the things that I, the things that I think that he should have, or the things that a great communicator, someone who works well with him and somebody you can see kind of how he is as a person, because Deshaun's not a big rah, rah guy, not a mm-hmm. yeller, not any of those things. He just likes to communicate and understand what you're trying to get done, but he wants to get coached hard. He wants the information, that's going to allow him to be successful. So um, I think in terms of offense, he, he could he could really play well in a system that provides him with rules and things to do in order for him to be consistently successful. So it sounds like you've got a name in mind, but you don't want to give it up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. That's fine. You don't want to give it up. That's fine. Um, so, uh, uh, all right. Look, the two other guys in the first one, and these guys, of course, are Ohio State guys. So mm-hmm. I, I've been following both these guys for quite some time. Um, let's start with Dwayne, because obviously this is the other end of it. And um, mm-hmm. things haven't gone as you guys have planned. Um, I'm just sort of wondering how, how he's handling all of this, how you've sort of advised him to handle all of this and how you think he works his way out of it. I think that he's, I think that, sorry about that. I think that he's handling this situation as well as you can handle it, right? Like he was put in a tough situation. Um, he, he was drafted to a team who didn't necessarily want him to be the quarterback. Um, but head coach, he didn't want him to be the quarterback. Then, Changes staff, new system coming in. Didn't get the opportunity to have um, the preseason or offseason. And then I thought he played decent in the last game that that he was in in terms of getting benched. But after that, he's he's taken notice of the things that they said they wanted to improve, improve on. He's mm-hmm. done that, been a great teammate, been supportive in the locker room. And I think that he's he's doing all the things that he can. And the way that he gets out of it, he's, he just gets another chance on the field. He gets mm-hmm. to show people and remind them how talented he is because Dwayne is literally one of the most talented throwers of the football in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I mean that wholeheartedly. Like, if you measured everybody by their ability to throw the football, he'd be up there on the top three. So when he gets his opportunity, he's going to be ready. And I think that he understands the role of an NFL quarterback a little bit better now than he did before, and he's going to continue to do the right things. I sort of feel like, too, like he probably – needs the game reps right like just because and he needs to make his mistakes right like is that fair just because a hundred percent he didn't play that many games in college and so like he probably didn't see quite as much and so like he just needs to get out there he just sort of needs to play right yeah you can't you can't get better at the nfl level if you're not taking snaps you're not seeing the defense you're not it's it's impossible to improve with without the reps that are necessary. And you just need more and more of those. And I understand that it's hard um, as a head coach coming into that situation to, to leave him out there. If you feel like 
there's someone who's more equipped today to help you win, right? If you got to win right, right now, I, I understand that them thinking like Alex Smith may help them um, right now win some more games. But in the long term, I think that Dwayne would be suited to, to help in a football team um, be very successful. Okay, last one then. Um, Justin Fields looks to me I like from what I've seen of him, like he looks like he's seeing it faster. He's seeing it better. He's more accurate. Like he looks like he ain't I'm no telling consolation you, prize. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny you say that because I've said this to people. I'm like, Trevor Lawrence is like, you know, and I know, I know that they're, they're from like 20 minutes apart from each other. Aren't they somewhere like something like that? In, in yeah, Atlanta. So, yeah. They've known each other for a long time. Like they've known of each other at least for a long time. Um, you know, I've said this to people. I'm like, I don't think Justin Fields is going to go number one this year. I think he'd go number one a lot of years, though. Um, what would you tell people who haven't really watched him? You know, because this is an NFL podcast. People who haven't watched him but have heard his name. What would you tell people about Justin Fields? He is the first pick of the NFL draft. Eight of every ten years. If you did it like every ten year cycle, he'd be that guy. He's a ridiculous talent, like physically gifted. He has all the things that you talk about in terms of, I want a quarterback who can do do this. Whatever this is, he has those abilities. And then the way that he's processing the game right now, he sees it so clear. He's been coached so well. He's asked to do so many things in the offense that he's in. Like he he's able to be very very successful. Um, he's going to go into the NFL t- in the NFL organization and make them very very happy that he's um, he's on their team. How do you think Ryan's prepared him for the NFL? Like just, you know, and I know like that was sort of like he had a relationship with Dwayne, right? Like, so that sort of helped steer his decision. Like how prepared is he going to come into the NFL? I, I I mean, I've said this a few times, but I think uh, Ryan does a good a job as any college coach in terms of giving quarterbacks the ability to be successful um, when they get to the NFL. And it's just the way that he prepares you the things that he puts on your shoulders, the things that he asks you to do in terms of handling protections, uh, making side adjustments, um, not only pre-snaps read, but see, pre-snap reads, but seeing things through the play and really reading things post-snap. Like he's asking them to do a lot of things and it gives them a tremendous advantage when they walk into uh, an NFL team. I'll tell you what I'm like really impressed with with him too. It really does feel like he's found his voice. You know what I mean? Like the way he had to... Like, and I think him and Trevor kind of worked in tandem on some of this stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, you saw him during the question, is the Big Ten going to play? Is the Big Ten not going to play? And you know what I was really impressed with, Q, about this whole thing was just how like he was probably the person who needed it least. You know what I mean? Like if you took mm-hmm. a, if you took like all the all the Big Ten rosters, like and you came up with a list of three or four people who needed it at least. In fact, some of those kids opted out. Right. Uh, like, like three or the four, three or like if, if there was a list of five guys who needed the season least of anyone, he would probably be on that list. And yet, like he went to bat for everybody. You know what I mean? Like I just think I don't know. Like if I'm an NFL decision maker, like I'm paying attention to that. You know what I mean? Like I'm paying attention to the fact that, like he felt strongly enough to step up for everybody, and he felt comfortable enough in his own shoes to put himself out there when he really didn't have to. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that it should really mean something. Not only that he put himself out there, but that he cares about that he enjoys the game of football that much. In 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 an era where kids are finding every reason not to play the game in order to get to the NFL, 
he went out of his way to do the thing that, that a lot of guys don't want to do or they don't love. And I think that he showed like he's truly passionate about the game of football. He really wants to play it. Um, and not only does he care about himself, but he cares about others. And those are the things that you want to see in somebody who's going to be leading your team and leading your organization. Do they love football? Um, and do they love and care about the guys around them in order to help them be successful? And I think that um, it's really clear that that he feels strongly about both those things. I'll tell you what, too. like To, to do what he did on Saturday, on the micro level now, one game, but to do what he did with three linemen out on Saturday was pretty impressive. Like To see like the situation they're in and getting them through that, I, I was I was really impressed with that. Yeah, he's, um, he's as talented as he gets. Yeah, all right. So he's... Uh, I always appreciate the time, Quincy. He's Quincy Avery of QB Takeover. Uh, Quincy, tell pe- tell people where they can find you. What's going on? If you guys are looking for me, just just hop on Twitter, Quincy underscore Avery Avery on uh, Instagram, just Quincy Avery. All right. Always appreciate you coming out, Quincy. Appreciate you. All right, thanks to Quincy. Always great to have him on. I know it's been a while. We're going to jump over to our weekly fantasy and DFS segment brought to you by DraftKings with our very own Michael Fabiano. He, of course, the originator of the Stardom Sidham column. Over 20 years in the business. Fab, what's going on? Fantasy playoff time, Albert. Right? right. We've we've made it. Uh, At least, hopefully, uh, a lot of folks out there have reached their playoffs. This is kind of you know, what you get into fantasy football for is to uh, take home that league title. And in most leagues, uh, this upcoming weekend is the uh, start of that, uh, let's just say, championship run. You know what's like, it's kind of crazy because it feels like everything is sneaking up on us this year. And like, right, like with the fantasy playoffs now, like we literally, as we're recording this, we just finished up week 13 Mm-hmm. And we are right on the doorstep of yeah, week 14. So yeah. I feel like I ask you this every week, Fabs, but I mean, it's the story of the year in this country. It's the story of the year in the NFL, too. Mm-hmm. Um, anything interesting that you take from week 13 in that it lasted until Tuesday night? <laughs> it's That's been, if you're a commissioner, it's the season's been a bit of a headache, uh, especially if you're like me and you've been allowing people to submit alternates for games that may or may not be played. And a lot of the products out there have had to adjust too, because the waiver wires run typically uh, Tuesday night, overnight into Wednesday. But like this week, a lot of sites are running waivers tonight. And then tomorrow you'll see who you picked up. And then lo and behold, there's a game on the same day. And last week waivers had run even later in the week because there was a game on Wednesday. It's just been I'm all discombobulated. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I mean, I was doing my Sirius XM show last night watching a game, and I'm like, it ain't Thursday, and it's not Monday, and we're just such creatures of habit. It's just been it's been very strange. But for those who, who did make the playoffs, congratulations. Make sure that you've added depth at certain positions, and make sure any time any running back has a shot to touch the football more than 15 times in a game – that you're going out and grabbing them because the position has been, well, it's been a bit hard to fill over the last month plus with everything that's going on, including the injuries. Hopefully uh, some fans will get Christian McCaffrey back, but like Ty Johnson, I mean, Mm -hmm. he had a huge touch share last week. I don't know if Frank Gore is coming back. Uh, Peyton Barber with Antonio Gibson, potentially going to miss this week's game. You got to stick and stay on that waiver wire. And if you have a buy, 
coming up this week. Uh, congratulations. Don't get lazy. Look ahead. If you play the matchups at defense, look ahead to week 15. See what defense has a great matchup and go out and pick it up. You got to do that. Uh, that. That's how you get in there and win that championship. While we're there, then is there anything you take from the Dez situation on Tuesday oh, night? Because obviously Dez isn't what he was five years ago. Mm-mm. If this was five years ago, Dez, it would have been like a fantasy emergency, right? Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. You know, so like, is there anything that you take from the Dez situation as sort of a warning signal of things to come? Yeah, it, it have that depth. And I got to be honest with you, I, I'm i sort of confused, and I feel like a lot of fans probably out there are confused. Des was out there pregame, like yep. hugging his his former teammates, right? right? And maybe even his current teammates. And then he's on the sidelines there. There's no social distancing. And he's he's on his phone. And I'm, I'm assuming he was tweeting because he had just found out that he had tested positive. Um, so... I hope the Cowboys don't suddenly get a bunch of positive test results here uh, for for the upcoming week against Cincinnati. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. Remember, like Stephon Gilmore, right? When right. Gilmore played the Chiefs and he had hugged Mahomes after the game and he was around the players and then he ended up being positive. It, there's a lot of confusion there. I, I feel like, you know, the NFL is trying to be safe and, and put the players' health uh, at the forefront, but they're also just trying to bulldoze through this league. They're, they're trying to bulldoze yeah. through the virus. They're trying to bulldoze through the season. And, you know, it, it, we're, we're certainly on the path to crowning a Super Bowl champion, but it is it has been a, a, a sort of a nightmare situation here the last couple of They've weeks. They've given us tells on that, too. Like, I, I think the priority is get every game played that that's you can right. possibly get pay, played under. And that's why they haven't had to cancel a game because – They've said the priority is on playing the game. Like, yep. and like one way or another, if the game is scheduled, we are playing it. I don't think they're going to put people's health at risk because I don't think, I mean, beyond just, you know, like caring for your employees, which I don't know how much of a factor that is. Like, but like beyond just that, it's like they can't have, like, like it'd be a huge, huge problem if there was an outbreak somewhere. So they're not going to put anybody at that sort of risk. But, I don't think they really care who's out there. Like, like no, they don't. don't. They don't. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think they really care. Like, if it's if it's me, you, Kendall Hilton, Hinton, whoever playing, they don't care. Right? Yeah. They don't yeah. Care. So, like, I think that's sort of been the approach to the whole thing. All right, we'll jump into the to, to, to Fabs's picks for Week 14 now. And as all as we always do, we're going to kick things off with your DraftKings DFS fantasy, or I'm sorry, DraftKings DFS bargains and fades. It's been a long mm-hmm. year already, Fabs. <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> Is it? Is it the same for you? Like right around Thanksgiving is when I start feeling a little burnout. And then as yeah. we get closer to Christmas, yeah. it's the, the brain well, stops Christmas working. Is like, yeah, because you're getting pulled in every single yes. different direction. Yeah. And it's like, all right, I mean, now not only do I have this work checklist I'm going through, now I got to make sure I take care of this and this right. and this and this yep. for Christmas. So mm-hmm. I'm with you 100% on that. What you got for yep. us this week on a DFS? So Matt DFS Ryan's, front? he's been somewhat of a dud over the last month or so, but I mean, the Chargers defense is not very good. Uh, and he's at $5,700. Uh, revenge game for Andy Dalton at $5,500, if you believe in that kind of thing. Mike Lennon's got the Titans. Uh, their defense is not good against the pass, and he's throwing the ball uh, deep. He's, he's taking shots. So at $5,100, he's worth a look. I like Kenyon Drake against the Giants at $5,500. Melvin Gordon against Carolina at 52. And then J.D. McKissick against the Niners at 49. 
$100 with Antonio Gibson, uh, maybe unlikely to play this week. At wide receiver, I like Jamison Crowder last week. I like him again against Seattle, uh, especially with the news that Denzel Mims is not with the team at this point, but Seattle's really bad against slot receivers. T.Y. Hilton, I gave him to you last week. He did it again against Houston, and he's got the Raiders this week. That's a good matchup at 51. Uh, Tyler Boyd's got the Cowboys at $4,900 at tight end. Logan Thomas has been really good. Had a huge game against Pittsburgh at $4,900. I like that, uh, or excuse me, at $3,500. I like that play. Dalton Schultz has quietly been reliable. Uh, he's got Cincinnati at $3,500. And then if you're looking to save some dough, uh, Jordan Akins against the Bears at $2,900 uh, could be a pretty good bargain. The Bears are not good against tight ends. All right. And I, it's interesting because you mentioned the two young tight ends there, Dalton Schultz and Logan Thomas. Both those guys have sort of steadily, like I feel like they've sort of steadily become more and more relevant. Thomas, of course, has the big breakout game mm-hmm. um, on Monday night. And I think Schultz played well last night too. We saw there was one play on the sideline where he looked. I mean, He's like good. Rob he's Gronkowski getting, type play. Yeah, he's getting targeted you know, five, six times a game. Yeah, yeah. So you have fades for this week? That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. So at quarterback – Deshaun Watson is obviously a start in redrafts for most folks, but at $7,600 against the Bears without Will Fuller, I'm going to fade him there. Uh, Kyler Murray has not looked good the last few weeks. The Giants defense just held Russell Wilson in check. Uh, Now they're at home at $7,200. That's too rich for my blood. Derek Carr is a fade for me this week. I liked him last week against the Jets, but now he's got the Colts. Uh, Raheem Mostert uh, is a fade. Uh, Very concerning was that usage last week with uh, Jeff Wilson seeing uh, a bunch of touches as well. Miles Sanders has just fallen off the radar here, man. Uh, and the Saints are really tough against running back. So he's a faded $6,200. Clyde Edwards Hilaire did not play last week. My decision to fade him this week has nothing to do with that. Just the volume's not there since Le'Veon Bell uh, joined the Chiefs. Uh, Devontae Parker at $6,100. Brandon Cooks at that same price. Uh, also a fade for me this week at tight end. Jared Cook scored a touchdown. Still don't like him against the Eagles at $3,800. Speaking of the Eagles, Zach Ertz, he's just not going to get targeted enough, and there's question marks now with Jalen Hurts under center in his first NFL start, uh, fading him at $3,700. And then, you know, Dan Arnold had two touchdowns last week, so people may be trying to chase the points. I would not do that against the Giants. Their defense is not bad at all, and they showed it last week. You don't go into Seattle and do that to the yeah. Seahawks without having a pretty darn good defense. And they got they got a big stop at the end of that game, too. Surprised a lot of people. All right. Yep. We always tell you this is the original stardom situm column. Twenty years, um, it's going strong on si.com now. Fabs, what do you got in the stardom situm column this week? All right, so Justin Herbert has looked like a rookie lately, <laughs> and yeah. I know he is a rookie, but I mean he's been so good. I keep the faith I'd play him against Atlanta this week. Ryan Tannehill was a stardom last week. Keep him active against the Jaguars. Same with Taysom Hill. Uh, Tom Brady's back off a of bye. I think this is going to be a high-scoring game against the Vikings. And then Ben Roethlisberger against the Bills, like that could be a high-scoring game. Steelers just—they don't even run the ball anymore, and they don't show—they—they they just don't show any signs of doing anything but throwing it uh, 68 to 70 percent of the time. Uh, I'm starting David Montgomery this week. Uh, very good matchup against Houston. Jonathan Taylor looks like he's the featured back. Let's hope. Cross our fingers that that remains the situation against the Raiders. If DeAndre Swift is active, you play him. Uh, Wayne Gallman has been very good. Uh, six weeks in a row, he's either rushed for over 100 yards or had a touchdown. He's got the Cardinals this week. Melvin Gordon's a nice RB2 flex. At wide receiver, I really like Robbie Anderson this week. Uh, they currently have Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore on the COVID list. 
Uh, and DJ Moore is also banged up, so Anderson could see a ton of targets. We had uh, Corey Davis last week start him again against the Jags. Uh, Amari Cooper, I, I know he's he's been not as great as we had hoped. Uh, he was much better, of course, when Dak Prescott was under center. But he's still been pretty decent with, with Andy Dalton. Had a touchdown against the Ravens. I'd play him against the Bengals. Uh, T.Y. Hilton, uh, also in play in redraft. Same thing with Jameson Crowder at tight end. Uh, Hunter Henry and the entire Chargers offense was awful last week. Uh, they've got a bounce back uh, possibility here against Atlanta. Eric Ebron's getting targeted a ton. You start him against the Bills. Noah Fant, Dalton Schultz, also pretty good starts. Some players to sit this week. I know Baker Mayfield's had six touchdowns and no picks in his last two games. He's got Baltimore this week. I, I just don't trust him. Uh, Cam and Jared Goff, both in the Thursday night gamer sits for me. Uh, so is Derek Carr and Jalen Hurts, obviously, even in two QB leagues. I don't know that he's going to put great numbers. That Saints defense is really good. Uh, running backs to sit this week, Miles Sanders, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, David Johnson, Damian Harris on Thursday night, and then Todd Gurley. The matchup's good. He's not right, folks. And he was splitting the workload last week, not only with Edo Smith, but with Brian Hill. So uh, that Falcons backfield is one to avoid. Sit him wide receivers, Devontae Parker against the Chiefs. Juju's probably a guy you got to play. Look at the numbers of slot receivers against the Bills this season. They have been – the only guy who's done anything against them is Jamison Crowder. That's it. And they've played Keenan Allen. They've played Tyler Lockett. They've played Cooper Cup. This is a very tough defense against slot receiver Christian Kirk. Uh, Jacoby Myers, Jerry Judy also on the sit list. At tight end, Austin Hooper. I, I thought he'd be better without yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. He has not been. Uh, Jared Cook, Zach Ertz, and Trey Burton also – on the sit list among tight ends. The Browns are such an interesting offense because I think they've done a really they've done a really good job of spreading it around and featuring different guys. And I just think that that's I don't know. I mean like I, I think it probably hurts the fantasy player, right? Like Right. You yep. know, I think Jarvis Landry's been fairly dependable, but outside of that, like you look at like Hollywood Higgins and Peoples Jones and obviously yep. they've got the rookie tight end Harrison Bryant there and Joku and yep. Hooper. They just got I mean like it's interesting because it feels like they've built some really good depth there where they don't have to be overly reliant on any one guy. And I think that like losing Odell Beckham took that to another level where now right. they're even more open to spreading the ball around. Yep, that's right. Yep. So you can lean on the run there. Uh, obviously, Nick Chubb is a must start. Kareem Hunt's yep. probably in the RB2 flex mix every week. Other than that, I mean, Jarvis has been very good the last few weeks. Yeah. Uh, I don't love the matchup this week. It's probably a three-hour flex. Okay, he's Michael Fabiano, the original Stardom Sidham author. You can check out all of his stuff at SI.com. So go there now for all of your DFS and fantasy picks for week 14. Thank you, for, thank you to DraftKings, too, for sponsoring the segment. Appreciate you, Fabs. All right, my brother. Have a good week. All right, big thanks to both fabs and quincy for all the insight today as we always do we're going to wrap things up with the six pack you guys know how this works every tuesday i put the call out for questions on twitter i pick six for the podcast i answer some more in the mailbag in the video mailbag if i pick yours you get a heart on twitter and if i pick yours for the podcast rather than the mailbag or the video mailbag you get an answer right here Start with question number one. This is from Jerry Judy. It's at Jerry Judy 10. Not the real Jerry Judy. At least I don't think so. There's no blue check mark there. Are the Broncos ready to move on from Drew Locke? If so, is Stafford an option? Well, I hope this isn't the real Jerry Judy or else that would be quite an interesting question. I, I think the Broncos are sort of in a position now where depending on where they draft and depending on who's available to them, they could potentially move on from Drew Locke. I don't think they're... 
I don't think they're out on Drew Locke. I just don't think they're all the way in on Drew Locke. And so let me give you an example. In 2018, if Sam Darnold had fallen two more spots, if he had fallen to Denver at number five, I believe that they would have taken Sam Darnold, the number one quarterback on their board, with the fifth overall pick. So if Sam Darnold suddenly becomes available, well, now I think you have to compare those two guys. You compare Drew Locke, you compare Sam Darnold. Drew Locke right now is 24 years old. He just turned 24 about a month ago, okay? And Sam Darnold, who, again, came out a year earlier, is still just 23 years old and doesn't turn 24 until June. So you'd be getting marginally younger. I think you'd be getting a guy with a bigger, with a higher ceiling. And I just, like, I think that's the sort of thing that John Elway would look at, especially with, you know, where he is. And I think the urgency to win in 2021 with the ownership changes and everything else, I could see him doing something like that. Um, would it be Stafford? I don't know if it'd be Stafford. If Stafford comes available, obviously that's going to depend on who's making that decision. Who's the new head coach, who's the new GM, um, out there in, in Detroit. But I, I certainly think that, you know, Denver will consider its options at quarterback. Not that they don't like Drew Locke, just that they would consider their options. Question number two from not who you think I am. It's our buddy at Don Ridenour. How hot is Mike McCarthy's seat getting? I think Mike McCarthy probably survives. Um, I think the as much as you've seen the effort issues in their last two games against the Ravens in Washington, as much as I think there's reason for concern um, in how locked in that team is and how the team's taken to the coaching staff, um, you know, I do think that there's enough cover in the amount of injuries they've had. And it's not just Dak. It's also the injuries they've had in the offensive line, losing Tyron Smith, having Zach Martin miss time, Travis Frederick retires, Lyle Collins is out. It's, you know, Zeke Elliott not being at the level of production he's been at the past. Um, it's, some of the issues on defense can be tied to personnel. Jalen Smith hasn't come close to living up to his contract since he's signed it. And so I think because of all those things, there's enough cover. Now, do I think he's going to have to make some changes? Yeah, I think he's going to have to make some changes. And we've seen Mike McCarthy do that in the past. So it wouldn't surprise me in the least to see Mike McCarthy make some changes. I mean, sort of to save himself, right? Like if we're being honest about it and getting another shot at it with Dak Prescott as his, quarter, as his quarterback. God willing, he's healthy in 2021. Um, and we see what he, where he's at then. Question number three from Danny. That's at at the over 85. Best landing spot for Matt Ryan. Assuming a new regime goes in new direction. I wouldn't assume Matt Ryan's gone from Atlanta just because I think that he can be your bridge quarterback pretty effectively. Um, you know, he's obviously got, you know, strong relationships on the team. And I think you could, you know, kind of use him as I guess what Alex Smith was in Kansas city for all of those years where he gets you to the next guy that you sell out to go and land. Um, you know, obviously Alex, Alex Smith did that to get the chiefs to Pat Mahomes, which really helped, which really worked out. Uh, so like, I think, you know, you definitely look at the idea of keeping Matt Ryan. If they were intent on moving him, I think the obvious best landing spot for Matt Ryan personally would be San Francisco. Now I think San Francisco is another one of these teams that like they're what they do. A quarterback is going to be dependent on what sort of options they have a quarterback. I put Oakland and new England in that category, sorry, Vegas and new England in that category too. Um, you know, so I think like a lot of what the Niners do is going to be based on their options. And if Matt Ryan's an option, I think Kyle Shanahan probably looks at that, sees similar money between Jimmy and Matt and like looks and says, 
which one do I like more to get me to whoever the real long-term guy is? I, like, I think it's fair to, to look at that and say maybe he would say Matt Ryan, who won an MVP playing for him in Atlanta. And I think certainly the best outcome for Matt Ryan if he was going to leave Atlanta would be to go play for Kyle Shanahan again. Question number four from a concerned citizen at PJ Slappy Nappy. What's your take on how the NFL is handling the pandemic in regards to rescheduling games? In my opinion, having the occasional Tuesday or Wednesday as well as a rare Monday doubleheader has been nice. How have the ratings been? The the NFL's ratings have been just fine. Um, and I think my my take on them uh, and their handling of all of this has really comes down to, you know, just I think a desire to keep the train on the tracks and keep games played as they're scheduled and not take games off the schedule. I think there's been a real, like, I think you see the intent. Like, I think you see what they're trying to do. And I think that's why there's, you know, this feeling we're not moving games. We're not canceling games for competitive issues. We're only going to do it for medical issues. The reason why is because the best thing in the long run for everybody is to get all these games played. So you wind up making your TV money and you put yourself in a good position to negotiate with the television networks when we get to January and February. And if you can score a big deal with the television networks when we get to January and February, now you can manage the cap going forward a little bit differently. It's good for the owners to be making that TV money. It's good for the players too, because if the cap doesn't go down, if we have at least a flat cap in 2021, which I don't think can be ruled out at this point, well, what does that mean? It means a healthier free agent market. It means less players cut and traded. Everybody wins in that scenario. And so I think the way that they look at it is we need to just kind of keep the train on the tracks, keep getting these play games played, not cancel games, try not to postpone games, give us give ourselves as much wiggle room as we possibly can so we don't have to move the Super Bowl back so we can get all the games played as scheduled and so we can negotiate new television deals ASAP. Question number five from Daniel Trugman. That's at D Trugman 2. Does Sam Ellinger, I like this question, have an NFL future? He carried UT for a long time, but never seems to be mentioned among the other top prospects. Here's what I'm going to tell you about the 2021 draft class of quarterbacks. I think you got Trevor Lawrence, solid number one. I think you have Justin Fields for right now, solid number two. I think you have Zach Wilson and Trey Lance. I think they're going to be, those two are going to be a little polarizing. Um, some people I think are going to love them. Other people are going to have more questions on them. I think both those guys, Zach Wilson and Trey Lance, have a good shot to rise through the process. And then I think you've got the two SEC quarterbacks, Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, as sort of the guys that can, I guess, compete their way into the first round. Do I think all six are going in the first round? Probably not. There are questions, again, about the ceiling of, of Trask, about the um, about you know, how much help um, you know Mac Jones has had. Obviously, great team around him. Um, so, like, I don't think all six wind up going the first round. There are enough questions on each of the at least four non-Lawrence and Field guys where I think you say, like, you know, like maybe one of these guys, two of these guys drop out of the first round. Um, so I think that's the top six, though. And then I think after that, you're talking about guys like Kellen Mond at Texas A&M, and you're talking about Sam Ellinger where, uh, you know, I think some of them, like, like Mond is sort of, Boomer bust. I think Sam Ellinger is sort of the guy where you look at him and you say, and I guess if you want to take another UT player, you look at Colt McCoy, could he carve out that sort of career for himself? Could he be the guy that's sort of the backup quarterback for 15 years in the NFL, makes a lot of money, um, is the kind of guy you want on your roster, but maybe not as your starter. 
That's sort of the impression I get on Sam Ellinger. Finally, question number six from Craig M. At Dolphin2334 of Lynn Peterson and Nagy. Are there any you expect to survive the axe at the end of the season? Rumors are the Cower might be interested in the Jets job and Jim Harbaugh might want back in coaching in the NFL. How likely do you think those might happen? That's not one question, Craig, but I'll fire through all of that as quickly as I can. I think Anthony Lynn is probably gone. I think Matt Nagy is probably gone. I think Doug Peterson is in peril. Um, I would say I'm closer to 50-50. So I think that Doug Peterson of those three has the best chance to six, to, to, to make it 2021. And I may even venture to say it's more likely than not that he gets another shot with a few staff changes in 2021. So that's how I handicap those three. As for Cower, he's interesting to me. Like the comp would be Dick Vermeil. And the question, if you were going to look at hiring him, because I do think he makes some sense, would be who is he bringing with him? What does his staff look like? Is he up enough with the network of NFL people, with the network in college football, where he knows the right guys to hire? Does he have the relationships with people at those levels to pull people and put together the right staff? Those are the questions I think you need to ask with. Uh, I think that's the those are the questions you need to ask with Bill Cower. I mean, remember when 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 Dick Vermeil was in St. Louis, he had Mike Martz as his offensive coordinator, and at the end, he had Lovey Smith as his defensive coordinator. Um, I think, or maybe Lovey was after that. Either way, like they were, that, that was a solid staff, and I think that that's the key with an older coach who's been away for a while. Is are you putting together? The, are you putting the right coaches? around the team it's a fair question i think with him would be who his staff would be as for jim harbaugh i think it makes sense that he would sniff around my understanding is that he's at least surveyed the landscape that's what it sounds like at least um and i think he's going to weigh it like that's my guess like would be that michigan's going to put something in front of him i think maybe already did put something in front of him if you listen to reports um, I haven't confirmed that myself, but I think Michigan either has or will put something in front of him. And then he's got to consider, all right, like I'm looking at Michigan and I'm looking at my options in the NFL. And then I think he makes a decision. Why would an NFL team want him after what's happened at Michigan? I think that answer is pretty easy. Every place he's been, University of San Diego, Stanford, San Francisco, now Michigan, he's gone in and he's turned those places around very, very fast. And each of those four places, like none of them were in a good spot when he got there and they were all within a couple of years in a much, much better spot. So the bargain you're making, if you're an NFL team is this guy's going to come in, this guy's going to shake things up. This guy's going to fix our program. And the other part of that deal is he may wear everybody out in four or five years, but I think that there are some teams that are in dire enough straits where they would sign up for that. At least I think, I think you might get a team or two that would say, I'll sign up for that. A team that's in a win now spot, like 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 the Bears, which I think would be like sort of a dream job for him because he played there. A team like that, like where you look at the roster and it's aging, and it's like, can we squeeze a championship run out of him? Like I could see him being attractive to a team like that. Appreciate you guys coming out. I want your feedback. We need your feedback. We'd love to incorporate your feedback. You guys know where to get me on get to me on social media at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram. You guys should be listening to all the MMQB podcasts, the Monday morning podcast with Gary, the gambling podcast, also on the MMQB podcast feed, Jenny and Connor's podcast, the Weekside podcast. They've got their own feed now. And of course, my podcast, the Albert Breer Show, which you know this is what it is if you've been listening for this long. You can get all three of them, bang the subscribe button for each of them. 
on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. We're there. Same time next week. I'll see you guys next week.